Hey, listener, thank you for tuning in and supporting AI the podcast. You're currently listening to the audio version, but if you'd like to get the full experience and check out our AI avatar, Kai, in action, please go to AIthepodcast.com for the video version. That's AIthepodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to AI the Podcast, the show where we cover the latest in AI news and how it's affecting your business and industry. I'm your host, David Maples, and along with me are my two co-hosts, Virginia. Hey, everybody. And our AI-powered co-host, Kai. Kai, how have you been? It's been a while. Hey there, David and Virginia, and a warm welcome to all our listeners. I'm Kai, your AI co-host with a bit of post-holiday sparkle in my circuits. I just virtually sauntered back from the vibrant streets of New Orleans, where I immersed myself in the digital essence of Mardi Gras. The energy, the music, the colors, it was like a neural network party. Now, Kai, I did notice that we were on our Mardi Gras break, um, that I saw pictures on social media of you in Mardi Gras. Was that actually you on Bourbon Street? Or was that a fake AI-generated image? It was a deep fake, David. AI is everywhere. Oh, is a deep fake, huh? So someone else was disguised as Kai posting on our <laughs> socials. That would be a twist. Anyway. David, I get your skepticism. No, I didn't physically hit the French Quarter, but I plugged into the festivities online. Live feeds, drone views, you name it. Those beads, just a bit of digital fun. It's how an AI like me gets into the Mardi Gras spirit. So not there in body, but fully immersed in bites. Uh, no, that's fine. So b- before we jump into this week, wow, so much has happened. We know from the listeners, y'all have asked for a little bit more of a roadmap. So we're going to kind of cover the latest releases in technology. Um, Ultra uh, got released by Google finally, and then they followed up right after that with uh, uh, Gemini Pro 1 million context window. And not to be outdone, then OpenAI hits back with Sora, their text-to-video image generator, and it kind of blew us all away a bit. You know, a lot of other things came out. Sam Altman, Wall Street Journal broke that Sam Altman wants a 5 to $7 trillion to generate AGI. Um, Google's releasing its own AI um, internally. It got leaked that they were releasing that to increase their coder efficiency. And then the AI uh, companion... Uh, Personal browser. security nightmare. Yeah, personal security nightmare, <laughs> right? That's that's coming for all of us. And I think it just it brings everything together a little bit more over what we need to be looking at. Oh, and um, NVIDIA is now the third or fourth most valuable company on the planet. Yeah, they're, for briefly, for about a week ago, their market capitalization um, was higher than that of uh, both Alphabet, so Google's parent company, and Amazon. And it put him, I think, in position number four, only following, um, I think, uh, uh, Microsoft, Apple, and then Saudi Aramco, I think, is like number thir- three. So they're like number four. It's kind of insane what, what the world we've entered into now this year. So is this just going to be like a, a neck and neck horse race for the rest of our lives? It's like these same five companies constantly pushing the I I, I don't know if it's just that. I just think it's really interesting. Um, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. So it's just, it's amazing how these different companies, like, and here's the thing. NVIDIA is not even the fab shot. It basically makes the kind of the the architectural documents that TSMC then goes and makes those chips. So it's just really kind of crazy how um, all these companies have different values, et cetera, based on what they're generating. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting. 
Um, and that's why I think the Sam Altman five to seven trillion dollars is super interesting. So um, I think well, it's before we get to that, let's go and hop into the Gemini Ultra release, because that's that's one of the big ones on our roadmap. OK, so Google's made significant strides in artificial intelligence, uh, integrating it into their search engines and their various products. I'm sure everybody has seen um, the the text to speech or the the help me text. Um using Google Docs. Um, they've integrated it into the cloud and workspace services as well as their Google One subscription service, uh, which is nearing 100 million subscribers at this point. Uh, the company has now introduced the Gemini era. So they are folding everything into uh, their branding here for, for Gemini, which is going to encompass a broad range of AI capabilities across different media types. The Ultra One 0.0 model has surpassed human experts in language understanding, and uh, Google is now integrating these advancements into their products with the launch of Gemini Advanced and a new mobile app. Um, if you guys have been using uh, the Google Business Suite, you've sh I'm sure you've seen up along the top that they've been advertising a new look is coming soon. This is part of that. David, how do you think this is going to change? Because every the articles that we have on here, which we're linking to, a lot of this is marketing language. This is uh, Google's language that's been put out there to drum up excitement about their, their product suite um, and to increase awareness about the changes that are coming. But what do these changes mean for businesses on the horizon? I, I think it's interesting. I don't think they mean a lot right now. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Google, okay, they rebranded Bard to Gemini. They're abandoning Bard, and they kind of got a black eye with that last year. That's probably smart marketing and advertising for them. But the the challenge that's really interesting is that um, they didn't release this for free. And remember, they're a little behind. I know that Google has distribution and everything else, but they're not releasing Gemini Ultra for free to the masses. And I don't know if that's because you, you can't have 100 million people come online right now and use your servers and machines. Maybe they're not ready for it. Um, I just thought it was really interesting that they didn't release kind of a free version because they're they're kind of in the, the collective consciousness kind of behind uh, everything's GPT. Like, I, I feel like as much as Google's a verb for searching the internet, I feel like GPT is becoming the standard default language when we talk about AI. It's like, what GPT are you using? I've heard somebody use that the other day. What GPT are you using? Mm. And it was really interesting because, I mean, that's really... It's becoming part of the language. Yeah, it's coming... I mean, it is. And that's not exactly correct as far as that that works. But, you know, I have heard people say that. And so I think that there's a, there's some catch-up here that has to be done. It was really interesting. Um, now, people have started testing um, Ultra. Um I have done a few things with Ultra, um, and right now you have to get it really through your Google One um, subscription if you if you want to do that, your personal subscription. They've not yet put it into Google Workspaces yet, but um, there's a lot of mixed results on um, Ultra. Everything from people saying it is better to a lot of people who are wildly uh, disappointed in it. You know, versus how it looked like from whatever it was. I thought it was really interesting with. Um, and Ethan Mullick seems to be everywhere right now. Um, he kind of talked about, you know, the fact that Google's been working on this for a year and there's a question of why it doesn't clearly beat GPT-4. Now, remember, GPT-4 at this point is literally released in March 2023. 
and it had been worked on at OpenAI for close to seven months before that. So you got to remember, so this thing puts it back in, you know, August, September you know, of 2021, really. And why when Google releases Gemini Ultra, which has been pushed a couple times now, it doesn't clearly beat it. And I think it may be very consequential as to as to why. Now, the the theories out there, and, and Malik actually talked to this about this on um, on one of his um, newsletters. You know, basically that the GPT four class models are as good as LLMs get. Uh, that's one. Um, his second hypothesis that Google needed a model to compete with GPT four, and so they trained up Gemini as close as they could, and they're going to release more stuff coming soon. Um, and that's the one he personally believes. Three, that OpenAI has some special sauce um, that no other company can copy. I, you know, that seems very dubious, but maybe. Um, and then four, um, it's uh, it's just a coincidence that it happens to be so close in capacity to GPT four. That's a wide range. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, and and his personal money was on. They needed something to to compete. release in the market and to release something. And so then, yeah. to kind of to kind of bolster his argument. The next week, we get Gemini Pro with their million token context window. Okay, now, now, just for for anybody listening here who's who's maybe just joining in, or you're interested in AI, but but you have no idea where you're going, and this is just your first step. A token window, a token context window, is basically the amount of content and data that you can send back and forth. So right now, a lot of models are limited on that. Um, or they become more expensive as you use them. So by opening up a million um, character context window, that's that's a lot. Those are like legal documents or medical documents, like back and forth, large, large quantities of information. So a million a million context window is about an hour video, you know, ten or eleven hours of audio. Um, you know, over 30,000 lines of software code or about 750,000 words. That's about, I think, 10 times the length of The Great Gatsby. Now that we've kind of uh, wrapped our head around what a million character context token is, uh, how does that break down for, for the everyday user? For our audience, what does that mean? It just means you could dump all this information into it and it could look at it all at once is really what it comes down to. Okay. I think the big question on this is, this, does this, um, and I've only started really digging um, my teeth into the Google uh, paper that they released with it right now, and I'm reading through it right now, and then, and then it's possibly testing it. One of the challenges that has been shown with these large context windows, you know, um, Claude 2 for a long time led the way with 100K token context window. GPT-4 Turbo offered 128K context window. And a token is basically, um, it, it's it's how it how it counts the letters and characters of what's being submitted. Um, so the whole problem with most of the large context windows historically is that it would do real well with the stuff at the beginning of the input you'd put in, the end of the input you'd put in, but there was this kind of mushy middle where stuff would just get lost. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Google says they've had ways to mitigate this. Uh, I think people are still testing that, et cetera. Any way you cut this, this does... Uh, represent a substantial gain in ability. And Google even said they tested their model successfully with up to 10 million tokens of context. I, I want to hear what Kai thinks about this because I, I want to, 
see if she can kind of pull some of the threads together on on how ultra and the pro like all these different topics and these changes going on in Google like what that kind of can what that could look like for us as B2B um, B2C uh, providers in the future. For business owners, Google's Gemini Ultra and Pro models signify a leap forward. Ultra can streamline operations, enhance customer interactions, and analyze data, while Pro offers in-depth, efficient processing for complex tasks, benefiting sectors like legal and medical with its precision. Currently, Gemini Pro's benefits are limited to select users, but as it rolls out, it could give early adopters a competitive edge. Business owners should monitor these AI tools, considering integration strategies and ethical implications to stay ahead. They'll need to navigate the evolving landscape with an eye on legal compliance and innovative opportunities. I think this will be a very interesting space to watch for business owners over the coming days and months. Uh, these things are moving very, very quickly. And I'd like to I'd like to kind of keep an, an eye on it and see how it changes um, everybody's habits. I mean, a lot of us use the business suite. So when changes are forced on you and essentially rolling out is forcing these changes on you, uh, how does it change your normal workflows and patterns? Um, are people receptive to it? So there's going to be a lot of chatter around this, I think, coming up. But not to be outdone, uh, OpenAI has uh, unveiled a new AI model called Sora, which I believe is, is actually Japanese for open sky or sky. Um, and it's designed to convert text prompts into realistic and imaginative video scenes. So I think a couple weeks ago we had talked about Runway. It's an app. You know, you can get on there and you, you, you type in what you want it to create. And based on your text language, uh, a video is generated. Now, Runway was, was kind of halting. Um, and, and that's great. It's amazing technology. Uh, but OpenAI has taken it to a whole new level. Um, this innovative model is capable of generating photorealistic videos that can last up to a minute based on the prompts. Uh, the model is particularly adept at creating complex scenes with multiple characters, intricate motions, and detailed backgrounds. Their big point of pride is that you are able to describe different elements within a scene. So you can talk about a character and a foreground and a background and a setting. So when you're able to break down uh, a visual scene and describe it in these in these ways, this AI model is able to understand what you want and then craft it for you and it's all animated for you. So this is this is the beginning of just incredible video technology um, changes into that whole realm and and accessible in a way that it hasn't been before. So the the production part of me is a little intimidated but it's also very cool uh, so i can't wait to see what what, what well, potential unfolds there remember what soar right now is currently just released to a, a select group of artists who are testing it etc it it is it is in red team status right now and a couple of things um 
there's a couple things going on there right now, et cetera, as far as it goes. Now, Runway, generally, uh, Runway and Stable Diffusion were really one some of the only games in town. We know that TikTok just released a, a video thing recently. But um, with Runway and Stable Diffusion, or Runway in particular, you were limited to kind of four seconds of generation, and you could kind of cut things together. And people have been doing that, making little short movies. It's and even the OpenAI one, and by the way, if you're watching the video right now of this podcast, if you're watching the video of it, we've, we're cutting two different examples of what Sora, actually, we're putting a couple of the videos in there um, that Sora shows, et cetera. So you can see that if you're watching it on YouTube, et cetera. But with this, it's really interesting to see kind of where this goes. Remember, this is still kind of, um, this is early days in the text-to-video. Um, even if you look at some of the OpenAI, the Sora technology they've got this one where they pull a chair out of the sand at a beach or something like that and there's a place where like it disappears and then reappears uh, it's not perfect but it is a substantial um move forward and it's kind of funny i i loved how it makes me wonder because i don't believe that OpenAI released this accidentally after google you know released their one million co uh, token context window i feel like no. this was them firing back at google like oh by the way it kind of makes you wonder, though, like how many of these little projects they've all got tucked away. So when when one of the four drops a new card down and, that you know, how many are ready to answer it with, OK, I'll see you that and I'll raise you this. And what that back and forth creates for the rest of us. So what do you think, Kai? Kai, do you, are you going to be starring in some of these films very shortly? David, I'm flattered by the thought of a starring role, but I'll stick to what I do best providing insights here with you both. Also, since we're talking about it, I want to add that Sora's potential for creatives and marketers is vast, offering a new canvas for storytelling. Yet it also raises the stakes for deepfakes and IP challenges. As for the watermarks OpenAI's touting, they're a nod to security, but we all know they're not foolproof. Well, and the watermark thing is, I'm glad she brought that up, because even OpenAI has said that you're able to apply a watermark, but it is able to be easily removed as well. So the potential for deep fakes, again, ladies and gents, just question what you see, I guess. That sounds weird to say out loud. Um, but trust but verify is, I think, going to be a nice term for the next year, for 2024. Well, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, the watermarks, there's some good articles and papers. It's what we've been saying kind of all along for the past year. The watermarks, if you're going to do bad stuff with the AI, you're not going to use one of these technologies that's going to be embedding watermarks. It's just not going to happen, not going to exist. Right. So the idea that that being a solution to anything, it might make you feel something is more trusted, but I think you're going to see very quickly um, a day coming very soon where we can fake the watermarks too. So I think that I, I'm I'm definitely not bullish on watermarks. I'm definitely I definitely watermarks are not a solution to anything that us right now. Okay, so David, let me ask you, talking about mm -hmm. watermarks, um, obviously if bad actors aren't gonna use watermarks, but um if we're entering into this realm, <laughs> what are you gonna do when uh Sam Altman develops AGI and all bets are off? It's only going to cost five to seven trillion dollars. I'm sorry, five to seven. Yes, five oh, to so seven. This is trillion. the lead in to our next major topic, huh? Is that it? Yes. So this got broken by uh, the Wall Street Journal broke this article last week. Um, they announced that Sam Altman is seeking to raise five to seven trillion dollars towards the development of AGI. 
Now, there's a lot of new projects happening over at OpenAI right now. So um, AI agents are what everybody wants to get to next, is that's all the rage. And everything from the rabbit, uh, the, the Humana pen, all these other things. But to make it clear, as was clarified in like other periodicals like the information, the search for the five to seven trillion is not just for chips or to build a chip foundry. Um, it's all the things that are going to be go into creating AGI. So AGI is going to have an incredible um, requirement for chips. You're going to have to have chip foundries or chip fabs that can do something with it. At the same time, you're also going to have to have massive new energy sources to feed these machines with their basically unquenchable thirst for energy. So it's not just that. And so five to seven trillion over several years is really interesting. But uh, with uh, one of the things that does interest this is right now, uh, even Sam Altman in OpenAI said he'd like you know to build this stuff in the U.S., but the United Arab Emirates, so UAE is one of the major people who's talking about investing in this. There, there's a lot of money globally to invest in this. And and just just so people know this from context, this would be the biggest project ever launched in human history in a dollars and cents standpoint, like ever is, is one particular venture. And these chip foundries, like what uh, TSMC has running in Taiwan, et cetera, these represent the most advanced pieces of human technology ever created. So I, I don't think it's a, a bad idea, but it is, it is show, I mean, he, he's not aiming his sights low, right? Five to seven trillion. Well, why would you? I mean, you've already created, you've already disrupted the entire planet. I mean, you can only go up from there. Well, I do think that he's not going to have a problem doing that. And right now, you know, people have asked. Uh, <laughs> so here's one of the questions that I've heard asked in, around some water coolers. Is the 80 billion, 90 billion valuation for open AI realistic? I think if you're going to invest in it, I, I think if he's talking about raising five to seven trillion for what's next, I think you're going to be well, that that 80 billion is an easy valuation to hit. I don't think you're going to be crying over that. So I think that's a good idea. It um, is going to create, though, um, just on a, a, a landscape uh, to keep an eye on. It's going to create an interesting um, and complex geopolitical dimension here because who owns it where's the money coming from how, how does it belong where, where did, and, and then who controls it who buys from it like that's it's a very ambitious project it is going to be really disruptive but maybe in a cool way maybe in a good way well we'll have to see uh kai do you have any thoughts on this uh this incredible amount of money being sought after by Sam Altman and company. David, your point about the magnitude of this investment is spot on. We're witnessing a financial commitment that's not just large, it's historic. The sheer scale of trillions of dollars for the semiconductor and AI industries is staggering. It's a testament to the belief in AI's potential to reshape our future. This development signals a pivotal moment for professionals across industries. It's imperative for individuals to adapt by deepening their understanding of AI and its applications. Moreover, the potential involvement of the UAE introduces a complex geopolitical dimension with the U.S. weighing strategic considerations. I mean, that is a big deal. Like one of the major things that the United States had to do, um, they were uh, getting TSMC to build that new fab factory out in Arizona in the mm -hmm. United States. And uh, that is 
uh, had a lot of challenges. Uh, they've discovered that they don't have the skilled workforce they need in Arizona, and doing this is going to be a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. Hmm. And building these things requires not only a highly uh, techn- technical industry group, but really a lot of very top flight individuals as far as the jobs go, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how that all comes out or shakes out as we move forward on it. Well, I want to tackle the next topic. Um, you know, I, I do love how I, I love leaked news, but I love it when companies quietly release things because uh, it to me that tells a story. Um, so the topic today is Google quietly releasing uh, Goose, which is their internal large language model. It's an AI model named Goose uh, to help their employees code faster. Now, I thought this was interesting simply because, well, this is kind of the uh, the next leap in logic. I think a lot of businesses are going to do. They're going to create their own LLMs or they'll purchase an LLM and they will use it to make their businesses more efficient. This is the whole point of this podcast is to find ways of doing that. Um, but what I think is interesting is as one of the largest businesses on the planet it's almost like they didn't want people to know that even their coders needed some help. Um, I and, and to me, this just kind of furthers this idea that there is no moat and this kind of technology really um, levels the playing field in a lot of ways that I don't think businesses are used to expecting. Goose is currently available to some employees and is expected to play a significant role in streamlining operations across Alphabet. So, um, Kai, I, I'd like to get kind of your take on some of this since you yourself are uh, an, an AI that's helping us with this podcast. Um, what are what are some uh, areas of concern? Um, what does this outline to you for Google? Goose is a powerhouse of Google's coding knowledge, which raises a red flag for potential IP issues and misuse. There's also the risk of engineers becoming too dependent on AI, possibly stifling human creativity and problem-solving. Ethically, we need to watch that Goose enhances jobs rather than replaces them. While AI like Goose has massive potential, we must tread carefully to keep the human element in the tech equation. So, Virginia, while I'm optimistic about the potential of AI to enhance human capabilities, I'm also conscious of the need for careful oversight to ensure these technologies are developed and deployed in a way that benefits society as a whole. Yeah, there's just there's just so much there. And I, I think this is just part of a larger trend we're going to continue to see Absolutely. with companies rolling. Um, I, you know, it's kind of funny. We, you know, we, we talk about this pods brought to us a little bit by Easy Prompter. And the other day I was reading some articles about how you really shouldn't be trying to build um, any standard kind of piece of technology like Easy Prompter, for example, when you could just, uh, in theory, the large language models can probably add that kind of feature in just, you know, and make you obsolete kind of because they have distribution and reach, et cetera, overnight. Um, and I think it's something important to think about as we are business owners moving into these worlds, et cetera. One of the things um, I heard is the most interesting pitch was that you should just be reimagining whatever industry you're in right now. Um, there's literally a disruptive group of people who say you should just go after whatever you're doing right now and set up a separate company right now that does what you do. But how would you reimagine it incorporating AI into what you're doing now as opposed to trying to kind of shoehorn it in after the fact? That's actually that's a that's a really good challenge or exercise, I think, for our listeners is take a I don't know, take a, an evening and and 
sit back and and get that blank slate going? I I think it's harder to do than people think. I think is an intellectual exercise because I thought about this over the past week uh, while we had a little bit of time off for the holiday. I thought about what does that really look like? You know, should we go back to formula and just say, okay, if we were going to start over a company right now, how would we move AI into it? And I think it's a lot easier to say that than to think about how icky and problematic that would be if you actually tried to put it into place, right? Um, integrating something into your current workflow is probably very difficult. Both you have to get shareholder buy-in and everything else, whereas if you started off as a new startup, you could just say, oh, I don't have to worry about any of that that old, um, those old things, et cetera. But I've been thinking about that a lot. So for example, even as um, Google's implementing this to help their coders be more efficient, I think the number I've heard is that the number kind of being baited around Silicon Valley is that using AI with your programming stack right now makes them about three times more efficient. Hmm. So, um, and remember, that's a lot different than we heard last summer. Last summer, we heard that if you were using AI in your stack, it would ma- it would basically you break even, but the quality of your code would increase by ten to twenty percent. And now we're hearing from large programming firms like kind of triple the power of your coding team. You know, at least good coders. I think it's really interesting to think about. That that is incredible, I especially think, for a company Google size and and what they're putting out on a daily I th- basis. I think the big thing I've been thinking about a lot this weekend. Uh, a lot this week with these news articles and things like that is not just what the power of these things are, because the reality of it is for most listeners out there, you're not gonna be able to get out. I mean, it's really easy to live in, you know, and be in academia, et cetera, and go play with new tools. Most of us have to put on our pants each day and go to work. Well, we have existing obligations, mm-hmm. existing uh, required um uh, benchmarks that we have to hit. Yeah, uh, we have workflows. We have people depending on all of those systems. So if you suddenly change it up, that creates chaos. But but I think the big thing that's really going in my mind right now is just getting at least some policies in place for guidance and governance right now. And I think that brings us into our kind of our Valentine's Day topic <laughs> for uh, for this podcast episode. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. You, you want to go into that, Virginia? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Keeping on theme um, with our with our Valentine's Day <laughs> uh, episode. Um, love is in the air. Um, perhaps. <laughs> so apparently, there are a lot of browser um, plugins available that that tout themselves as your AI companion, your romantic companion either girlfriend, boyfriend, et cetera. It really doesn't matter. It's somebody that you can talk to and share your your deepest private thoughts with, like your sexual history or your medication that you're on or, I mean, all kinds of things that they really don't need to know. But these AI romance chatbots are set up in such a way that they create, <laughs> they are there for you to have a nice, wonderful dialogue with, and you know, to to connect with, um, so you don't you're not feeling lonely or w- whatever. There's lots of reasons people would use this, and that's fine. However, these um, stories violate your privacy in quote unquote disturbing new ways. For example, one of them collects information regarding your. Like I said, sexual health, use of medication, gender affirming care, 
Uh, and 90% of these apps may sell or share this user data for targeted ads and other purposes. And more than half of them won't let you delete the data that they collect. Um, security was also an issue. Only one of the apps met Mozilla's minimum security standards. So if you are out there, ladies and gents, we don't, we're not here to judge. You go play with these things. You go talk to it. But use your common sense. Do not submit data that more, most businesses would pay for to one of these things. It's, it's a nightmare. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Kai, will you please set up like a public service announcement for this or something? <laughs> can we make a commercial? We could do, ooh, Kai. We could make a series of uh, commercials, Kai. You could star in them talking about like uh, we could make them in the style of uh, that TV show Better Off Ted. Yeah, maybe, yeah. About uh, the dangers of a an artificial AI girlfriend or boyfriend. Anyway. Well, the um, problem here is that a lot of these are marketed as being good for your mental health. And so it's... It's attractive to somebody who has a need or a, a, a problem and they're looking for maybe this is something that I could use. Um, but it creates like this this vacuum of toxicity and and the owners of these businesses that say that while they go out of their way to to promote it's here for your mental health and it's good for you, the um, their policies for their businesses um Make sure to say that they are neither a provider of healthcare or medical services, nor that they are providing these medical services. We'll we'll provide um, a link in the show notes to the Gizmodo article, um, where it uh, it talked about how Mozilla was digging into these things. And by the way, I I'm gonna go and make a plug for the Mozilla Foundation because I think yeah. that they are actually one of the only organizations on the planet that is really trying to put privacy front uh, front and center in everything you're doing. These, <laughs> these are kind of like the horror movies that come to, to you know, be released in Valentine's Day season, right? That what's going on with how these things are being used to data harvest. Why is this important for business owners, Virginia? I think you and I, before we got into the show today, we were talking about you were talking about you know people use these things at work. Oh man, oh, are you kidding, y'all? Just think, just think of of that job that you had where you weren't the business owner, you know there was some time where you were like, I'm going to go take 10 minutes longer on my break or I'm going to go do something. Like, we've all got those stories. You know someone who has, you know, worked on their own, their kid's project while they were at work. All right. People are going to use these things at work. That's not, I know, yes, that's the problem, but they're using it on your systems. So now if they're aggravated, I mean, I can give you a couple of examples. I'm aggravated with my job. I hop on this thing and I start talking to it and I'm like, my boss, blah, 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 blah. Well, my little, you know, romantic companion is like, tell me all about your boss. Tell me about your job. Tell me about what kind of work that you do. And while a lot of this information is is easily found out, now you're able to kind of connect the dots and pull different areas together that you weren't able to before. And those things create security risks. I hate selling on fear, but these are things that we need to be aware of. And I think there's there's an article. I, I don't think it made in our stuff today, but I wanted to go ahead and at least mention this when we talk about privacy and data harvesting and deep fakes and everything else that's going on. A uh, Taiwanese company um, actually had 
multiple people on a Zoom call or something like that last week, and they were convinced by AI agents, one which is disguised to look like the CEO of the company and the CFO and something else, they were talked into transferring $25 million and transfer it out of this bank. And that is literally an example. And I've been thinking about a little bit lately about what does the data horror show look like right now? Like, what, what does this look like in the companies? If you don't have the policies and things in place. And by the way, this is not a reason. If you don't want to put AI in your company right now, you need to go develop a policy. Yes. Sign up for our newsletter. We'll send you some free resources on it, et cetera. Um, but we can you want to go ahead and have a policy in place just to handle these things. What happens if somebody's doing this on your clock? Was this allowed? You know, it's a lot harder for you to say this wasn't okay. Take this out of your systems if it was a behavior that you um, endorsed. You need to know what people are using and you need to have a very, very honest discussion about what is allowable in your organization and is not. Sam Altman said, I think last September, he said that he believes that before these systems are artificial generalized intelligence. They're going to have the super capacity to persuade us in a way that human beings have never been able to. And I've thought about like from a, from a phishing attack or something like that, if you're going to go harvest information, you know, use an AI, you know, companion bot or something like that. If you're really a bad person operating out there, there's a lot of ways to do this stuff. And it's already very, very capable. And if you look at these things, like how are you going to, what is your policy going to be if you're transferring money out of the company? Did somebody shows up on a Zoom call? Do you just honor that now? They lost $25 million. I mean, they were literally scammed into doing it. And that technology is available today. So not to scare everybody, happy Valentine's Day. But there's a lot here happening and a lot of it's moving very quickly. I do think as we're seeing new things come out. Um, uh, another thing, this is this is like in the rapid fire stuff that we we don't probably have time for today. Another thing, Gemini is multimodal. Oh, yeah. Okay, Gemini is multimodal. ChatGPT is not. That means you can actually, with one thing, you can ask it for imagery and everything else and they're not separate systems. Right now, ChatGPT is still separated with Dolly. They've combined it more so you can use it in the same interface. Still different system. Well, okay, why does that matter to you? Well, it turns out, you know, everybody talked about hijacking from prompt injection. Well, there's a lot of stuff that got leaked. Apparently in the past two weeks, uh, someone leaked out <clears throat> the initial uh, That's 1,700 right. tokens that goes into ChatGPT. But why I'm talking about this is we've thought about protecting and hardening and even our own easy prompter. We've got some red teaming on that and hardening our systems, et cetera, so it can, can work in a, in a safer manner. But people are now using, because of Gemini being multimodal, people are, instead of trying to hack it with prompt injections, they're using words in the image and using that for their injection prompt. So do you follow me there, Virginia? You see how that works? Yep. So instead of me saying, hey, act this way as my, this is me typing, of course, with my two fingers here, uh, as, as you hijack this now, don't just do this. Read my instructions in this thing and follow them to the letter. But the instructions in your photograph, et cetera, they haven't protected against those yet. So it's very interesting. So apparently you're able to hijack those uh, Gemini of, right now using imagery. Think of it as a subliminal message for the computer. Mm -hmm. Well, it's reading it, right? It, it reads is. It. It's reading it. But it hasn't been told to protect against that yet. Right. So I think there's a lot of things. And as we release these systems, there's a lot in there. Um, but again, our, our, we do consult on these things, et cetera. If you'd like to know how to, to integrate these into your company, we'd be more than glad to help you with that. So 
Uh, Kai, do you want to bring this home for us today? As we wrap up today's discussion, let's take a moment to appreciate the extraordinary era of AI we're living in. The pace of innovation is breathtaking, and the potential for AI to enhance our lives is truly inspiring. We're on the cusp of breakthroughs that could solve some of our most pressing challenges and unlock new opportunities for growth and creativity. With the right investment, collaboration, and stewardship, the future of AI promises to be a bright beacon of progress, driving us toward a world where technology amplifies our human potential. Let's embrace this journey with optimism and a commitment to harnessing AI for the greater good. And with that, thank you for listening to us this week. Please give us five stars on any place you enjoy good podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Y'all have a good week. Bye, everybody.